live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to talk some NFL. And with the Super Bowl now done, the NFL offseason should be fully underway. Except it's not. I mean, not really. Things are getting done, but it hasn't really officially started because the, ofi- the first official major domino really has not fallen yet. And the reason for that, the domino, I think, is sitting in a dark room pondering his future. At least I think he is. The exact details on the Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat are vague and mysterious. I'm not going to ponder it. How can you even ponder that? Because I saw what happened to guys who did ponder it, and it didn't go well. Why? How can you even ponder his darkness retreat? I do not want to misrepresent this in any way because the last guy who did that ended up getting body bagged by Aaron on the McAfee show. And listen, that's my problem with the whole thing. It's, I have no problem with Ian Rappaport, Schefter. I think they're really good at their jobs. When it comes to me, they don't know They really don't. They don't have they don't have inner source they don't have people in my inner circle who are sources. I can promise you that. And anybody who would talk to them is not in my inner circle. It's that simple. I can promise you something. When Aaron begins a sentence by saying, I don't really have a problem with And listen, that's my problem. Insiders, he has a real problem with insert insiders. When it comes to me, they don't know. I think that's true. Nobody really knows bleep right now when it comes to Aaron outside of his inner circle, whoever the inner circle is, and the inner circle does not talk, or the inner circle is no longer part of the inner circle. And just to be totally clear on that, because I don't want to get toe-tagged by my dude either, I have no contacts in the inner circle other than the man himself, and he hasn't told me anything about the retreat, when it starts, when it ends, or anything like that. So I've got no idea, which is why I'm not going to speculate. Here's what we do know. We know what he said. And what he said was he would be entering the darkness at, quote, the end of the week, which is why he may or may not be in that dark room even as we speak. I don't know. I'm not a part of the inner circle. I don't know anybody in the inner circle. I'm not sourced like that. It's that simple. It is that simple. So what we do know is he was going to end or enter at the end of the week. We know the plan was for four days and four nights of complete darkness and isolation. We know that as part of the experience, he was going to experience possibly hallucinations. In other words, it's totally possible that our guy is tripping balls right this second. He might be sitting in complete darkness right this second. He may also be seeing rainbows and unicorns, double rainbows, double unicorns striding across the surface of the sun or floating through the void of the infinite space, maybe shooting lasers out his chest. Whatever it is he's experiencing, if in fact He is experiencing anything at all. It's a lot more profound than him wanting to know whether or not he's going to play football next season and if he does, where it's going to be. He made that very clear 
that it's more profound than that. But that good use of your laser sounds, Alvin. Well played, Alvin. However, that <laughs> hey, Alvin, how long have you been sitting on those lasers, yo? Damn, dude, I had no idea you had that kind of laser library, Alvin. Amazing. Keep it up. So anyway, it's it's more profound to Aaron than that. But the one thing everybody else wants to know, the one thing everybody wants to know is, well, dude, what's it going to be? What's it going to be and when's it going to be? Are you going to play or not? And if you are going to play, is it going to be with the Packers or not? And if it's not the Packers, then who? Personally, and again, I'm not inside the inner circle. But if I had to guess, while anything can happen, my personal feeling is I sincerely doubt that he's going to emerge from that dark room and announce his retirement. It's my personal opinion. I'm not the only one, though, who feels that way. Our mutual friend and teammate, Aaron Jones, also feels that way. Not only did the fellow Packer and mutual friend, Aaron Jones, tell me last week on Radio Row that he doesn't think that Aaron's going to retire. He also said to me on the road last week, he thinks that Aaron will remain a Packer. Are you at all fearful that maybe you've already played your last game with Aaron? Um, For some reason, no. I, I mean, I feel like... I feel like he'll be back. I don't know. I just he uh, he had fun this year. Uh, as as the season started getting later, we started clicking and gelling, and you could tell we were taking that step. And uh, I think he sees that, and I think we have all the pieces that we need, and he kind of sees that as well. And then uh, I think he wants to go out on his own. He wants his like his own flowers. He doesn't want to share it with Tom Brady or something like that. So I think he makes some very good points right there, and he made those points before. The team redid his deal and recommitted to Jones, and Jones recommitted to them, which happened yesterday. And just a quick aside for a moment about Aaron Jones. My dude, man, I love him. I've always loved him. Always loved catching up with him on the row. In case you missed it, he and his fam were there with him. So what I should say is I always love catching up with he and his fam. Because he always brings his fam to the row, which I love and I respect. And there's actually a picture up on my Twitter feed of Aaron Jones, his mom. Great, great gal. Great lady. And yours truly. So if you scroll back to last week, my man is there. He's a great dude. He's a great player. The Packers brought him back. They did the right thing. There's a picture of he and me and moms. Scroll back. So that's done. Now we wait. What about Aaron? Are the Packers going to bring Aaron back? Does Aaron want to come back? Does Aaron still want to play? Does he want to play for the Packers? I mean, who knows? Because again, this darkness retreat, I think, is about something much greater than football. He's seeking something deeper. He's seeking something more profound. He's not just trying to determine if he wants to play and where he wants to play, but rather, wait for it, He's trying to determine who the hell he is, right? This is what he actually said, and I quote, I said after the Super Bowl, I'm going to go on my darkness retreat. I'm probably going to have a better sense of where I am at in my life. I didn't say I'm going to my darkness retreat just to figure out 
if I'm going to play next year or retire. End of quote. Dude, preach. I get it. By the way, instead of clowning this guy or mocking this guy or hating on this guy, we should listen to this guy. We could all use some deep internal reflection. Maybe not four days worth, but something. Personally, I'm really intrigued by it. I actually am seriously considering a darkness retreat myself. And not just to figure out what I want to do with the program or the brand or the content. I mean, I certainly would ponder all those things. But like Aaron, it would be much more for me about things other than just the show and what content and what platforms I want to focus on. It's kind of about where I'm at in my life. Hence the reinvention project with Jim Rome. I really think that I would also emerge from the darkness with greater clarity. And not just clarity on the show and brand and my career and business, but rather on who I am and who I want to be. And not just what I want to talk about and who I want to talk to. You see, I get Aaron on that level. And I'm actually kind of inspired by it. But you want to know something? Do you want to know the very best part of four days of complete darkness and isolation? Not only am I not afraid of that, not afraid of spending four days in the dark with only me and my thoughts. Not only am I not afraid of that, I would covet that. Because do you know what that means? Four days with just me and my thoughts would also mean four days without many of you and your thoughts. Feel me? Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. Can I tell you, I'm starving after every workout. So this time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender. And it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously. And you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried out? rough beef in a bag nobody it's like eating a shoe old trapper though is the real deal and it comes in four amazing flavors old-fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness teriyaki peppered and hot and spicy for those who like to take things up a notch so next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime anywhere grab some old trapper beef jerky look for old trapper in the clearview bag that way you can see exactly what you're buying look for it in major retail stores near you if you don't see it clones ask for it by name because no other jerky compares old trapper what is your beef i always say more of me and less of you is better for this show well that would be the ultimate show because it would be all of me and none of you. Now, I would apologize for making a statement like that, but it's many of you who should be apologizing to me, and you should have done it a hell of a long time ago. Four days in complete darkness and isolation may sound like hell for most people, not to me. To me, it sounds utterly incredible. Because, because, it would mean four days without 
all the bull crap that I've had to deal with on the daily here for years. You know, bull crap like bison daily resets, mama cast choke jokes, emails about a baby that fell down a well over 30 years ago, requests, endless requests to resurrect the rat family or the adult alarm or the death pool or the constant bum smack and fat smack and the latest wave of tweets every time a celebrity gets a little bit of work done or has, according to the clones, too many children or the never-ending flood of Oge resets, especially the never-ending flood of Oge resets. Imagine the progress I could make personally in my life and myself if I could just get a total break or at least a four-day break of that bull crap. So I totally get where Aaron Rodgers is coming from. I'm not knocking the darkness retreat at all. In fact, I'm trying to figure out what kind of blackout curtains I need to turn the tower of hate into a darkness bunker. I get it. I get that it's bigger than just football. I get that, look, here's what I get. I get that plenty of you are over him. I've seen the reports that teams and executives around the league think that he's no longer worth all of this trouble. Not me. Not me. Preach, brother. I got you, Aaron. Brother. You're against the world. I got you, Aaron. Take your time, brother. Take six days. Brother. Take eight days. Take as much time as you need. Trip as hard as you need to trip. Come out of there when you want to. I don't care. I'll wait. Because I can't wait to hear all about it. Because not only do I not think it's the worst idea, I think it's actually the best idea. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking that I might bust out of here and start my own darkness retreat before the end of this show. Are we all clear? Before the end of this show, I like this idea so much. Got that? Got that, clones. We good. Oh, what do you know? Reaction already. Dear Jim, this is not a new thing. I sent Ron and Nicole on a permanent darkness retreat many years ago. Signed, Oge. You like that reset, Rome? Yeah, no. No. This is the bull crap I'm talking about. You know what? When I say I might do this before the end of the program, what I really mean is I might do this right this second. You know what? I've made an executive decision. The Rome Darkness Retreat is a go. Let's do this. I've come to talk with you again. Yeah. Are you watching on CBS Sports Network? What do you see? You see darkness. It's like I'm not even there. Oh, I am. But I'm in the dark. Me and my thoughts. Isolation, just a door, a toilet in the middle of the room. They're going to bring me my food once a day. I'm allowed to leave if I want. You happy, clones? I am. It's actually kind of nice. 
I'm going to call my manager and let him know that this is exactly what I've decided to do. I'm sure CBS will be very happy having a black screen for three hours. Why did I even bother going into makeup? Sorry about that, Cindy. Should have given her the day off. But then again, I really didn't know. Like, I thought about it, and then I started to talk myself into it, and I thought maybe before the end of the program, but all it took was like this impassioned take off the top and one idiot to set me off. So here we are. The darkness retreat. So now it's just a radio show. That's how that starts. The darkness retreat is now just a radio show. I'm still on TV. You just don't see me because I'm in the dark. Are you watching CBS Sports Network? I know you hear me if you're listening, but if you're watching on TV, you're not seeing anything because the darkness retreat has started. Don't you push me or the darkness audio retreat will start. Don't push me. I got you, Aaron. I might be the only one, but I got you. I see you working. You're on to something. I like it. Four days, man. How about four weeks? I mean, you may come out in four days. I like this. I like the way this feels. I'm just... I'm not one of those guys that needs people and noise. I like this. I should have done this so much sooner. This is awesome. Hey, Alvin. You should go into a room of darkness. You'll like it. There you go. Alvin, you, you do some of your best work in the dark. hey But no, Alvin, the thing is, though, you have to be there alone. Chalk looks awesome in the dark. My man sleeps standing upside down in the dark every night. Nothing new to him. He has a darkness retreat every single night. Jock does. Vampire. All right, so in addition to me enjoying the sound of silence, my old friend. This is nice. I like this. So far, no hallucinations. No lasers out my chest. But it's early. I've only been in here four minutes, not four days. No double rainbows, but best of all, no bison daylay resets. I like it. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Alan Shipnook is my guest. Alan, what's going on? How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Romy. Appreciate your time. Dude, always great to talk to you, and I appreciate your time. Listen, I knew I would get there, but I didn't exactly think that I would start the question or the interview with a question or a three on Tiger Woods, but here the bleep we are, right? This guy shows up, Alan, at Riv for his first round of competitive golf in seven months, and he finishes yesterday with three birdies on the last three holes. He goes 269 at the Genesis Invitational. I want to say I'm shocked, Alan, but should I be? What did you think watching him yesterday before we talk about what he's done today? 
Well, it was just a pleasure to watch Tiger Woods play golf. I mean, I've I've let go of all expectations or predictions, and I just try to enjoy the experience of it because it's fleeting. Like, we know he has a finite number of swings left in that reconstituted body of his. And, um, you know, a firm, fast Riviera is the perfect canvas for his artistry. Like, the way he can still shape the ball – some of the, the touch shots around the green. And it, it's a course that make, that forces you to make a lot of decisions. And whatever the state of Tiger's you know, ankle or foot or spine, like his brain remains undefeated when it comes to golf. Like he's just such a master tactician. And he can, he can just plot his way around a course like that better than anybody. So, um, and he's still got some pop. I mean, he's, he's hitting some, some good drives. The, I'm I'm amused by the, the breathless reports of Tiger's club head speed every time he swings a driver. I mean, he's always been able to to move the ball. That hasn't changed. The, the issue is, can his body hold up for you know 72 holes up up and down hills and awkward lies and um, plus all the the preparation it takes to get tournament sharp. Like that remains the open question. But in a vacuum, you put him over a golf ball, he can still deliver the club to the back of the ball as well as anybody. So it was a remarkable performance given the rust and the buildup. And um, it just shows there's still some magic left in those hands. Right. And he's even on the day through 10. He's 200 par. He's under the cut line. So we may see more this weekend. Alan Shipnook is joining us right now. Alan, you asked a question recently in the Fire Pit Collective that I thought was really interesting. So I'll, I'll address it here or bring it up here. Who do you think is going to be the first live golfer to come back to the PGA Tour if you had to guess? Well, it's interesting because I actually, yeah, I do this weekly reader mailbag. And I answered that question before I'd watched the Netflix episode about Brooks Kepka, And Brooks was my answer because I've been hearing from people in the game that he wants to get back to the PGA Tour. And it makes perfect sense. The guy has a huge ego. And, you know, he talks about, you know, the Phoenix Open is where it actually feels like a real sporting event. He thrives on that energy and and you have to give live golf credit for what they built in a short period of time. It's pretty remarkable, but I've been to the tournaments and there's not a lot of energy there to say the least. There's certainly very little impact on the game at large, whether you play well or not. The buzz has been all the macro stories, but who wins and loses out there? No one is paying attention to. And I think for Brooks to feel irrelevant, it hurts his pride and it, it, it wounds his ego. And, and so that that was my answer to the question. Then I watched that you know that episode of of the new Netflix documentary about the uh, the tour, the docu series, and it, it just confirms what I'd always believed and I'd heard is that you know when, when when Brooks took the money, he was still struggling with his body and with his game. He had a whole series of injuries, and I think he was questioning his future. And he's not a guy who grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. I mean, it was. He's not Justin Thomas, right? Like it's it's it was a little more of a hard knock life for him, and so they dangled life changing money. He was at a crossroads, and he took it. But he's feeling healthier now. He's feeling stronger. He's swinging the club better, and I think he feels left out. I think that you know the energy around the PGA Tour has gone up with these elevated events and um, getting the best players together more often. And I think Brooks is like, man, I'm I'm on the outside looking in, and so he's my choice for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. Alan Shipnook is joining us. So how would that work? For instance, I have to assume that would be a major win, right, for the PGA Tour. Would they welcome him back with open arms if he wanted to come back? Well, it, it would be complex. For sure, it would be a, a public relations bonanza. And 
they would like to, to, to win back some of those players. It would, it would really help sink live forever, and it would certainly be a gigantic uh, victory for Jay Monahan, the PJ Tour commissioner. There would be some hard feelings from you know the colleagues who, Brooks or anybody else, they basically took the money, they, they sued the tour guys, they they gave the middle finger and now they want to come back and and cash in on all these big purses like there would be some there would be some uh, side eye on the driving range without a doubt but <laughs> I I think for the tour leadership it would be it would be such a win that they would they would they would make that go away the actual mechanics of it as far as playing status and who gets into what tournament like there's a lot to work out but what what casual sportsmans may not be aware is. Right now, like at this very moment, over in the UK, there's this big arbitration case being heard about European tour players, you know, suing the European tour guys like uh, Lee Westwood and Sergio Garcia. They were able to compete. The live players were able to compete on the Euro Tour all of last year because they basically got a stay in this lawsuit. And if the players win that, um, all of a sudden, all the European tour guys. Um, are going to have to welcome back their old live colleagues. And that will put a huge amount of pressure on the PJ Tour in America to find a, a middle ground as well, because um, you'd have live guys playing every week in Europe, getting world ranking points, making the Ryder Cup team, and it would create this competitive imbalance. And you'd probably get, it would, it would strengthen the antitrust case that the tour is trying to, you know, fend off. So that this little arbitration hearing, the secretive panel in the UK could have, that could really be the first domino to fall where the game gets unified again. So it's it's complex, but it's actually attainable. Alan Shipnook is joining us. All right, speaking of a docuseries, your Fire Pit Collective debuted last month on YouTube with a docuseries called The Grind. Who and what is that about? Yeah, it sounds kind of dirty, but it's not. I mean, it's it's kind of our answer to the Netflix show. You know, they're focused on the stars and... Like, if you've been watching this at all, every other scene is filmed on a private jet. It's, like, so gross. Like, are these guys even aware of their carbon footprint? I mean, give me a break. It's like, hey, I got to go to the grocery store. Let me jump on a PJ real quick. And it's just not real life. I mean, there's tens of thousands of golfers in this country who can shoot 62 tomorrow. But they can't break through because they don't have the access. They don't have the money to travel. They don't have the status to fight their way through the, the multi-layers of professional golf. And so, you know, to us at, at the fire pit, like that's the most compelling part of the game is it's, you know, is Justin Thomas going to win another major or not? There's not much dramatic tension there. Right. And I don't really care personally, but these guys are playing for their livelihoods and their credit cards are maxed out. And it's their fourth week in a row on the road, living in their van and, like that is that is the real drama of the sport, and we wanted to shine a light on that. So, yeah, it's a weekly series we're doing a different golfer, pretty much every episode, and there's no agents involved. There's there's it's all access, and it's super intimate and raw, and um, we're we're proud of it because it, this is it's the heartbeat of professional golf, and it's it's a really overlooked part of the sport. The grind, Alan, it seems pretty self-obvious or obvious and self-evident, but if our listeners and viewers want to find it, where do they go to find it? Yeah, firepitcollective.com, or you just go to the Fire Pit um, YouTube channel. And, um, yeah, the episodes are dropping on Tuesday, so there's four up there now. we got another one coming out in a few days. And it's just it's feel-good viewing because these are people chasing their dream. It doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. I mean, it's, it's a hard life and a hard road, but 
um, they're just really compelling stories. I like it. You should be proud. One last thought. You and I had an extensive conversation about Phil Mickelson last year when your book, Phil, was released. We haven't heard much from Phil of late. Is that by design? Yeah. I mean, he's gone underground. Um, I think the folks that live have been happy about that. But Phil's starting to, you know, buck his head a little bit on social media. I think he's feeling a little friskier. Um, Phil Mickelson is is gone but not forgotten. Like, he's going to have another you know, public act here. It's going to be fascinating to, to see it, un, you know, unfold. And I think he realizes this is a make or break year for Liv. And he's one of their biggest assets, but he's also been one of their biggest liabilities. But he needs to bring some energy and some juice, not only with, you know, on social media, but with his golf clubs. And so I think Phil is feeling that, you know, this was his baby. This was his creation. And he has a lot of ownership, you know, literally. He has, you know, he has equity stakes in his franchise. And so I think Phil, you know, last year was, he took a lot of shrapnel and he kind of had to he had to get through a lot of stuff and he had to recharge. I, I think this is going to be the year of Phil, one way or another, and it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch it unfold. Really quickly, quick follow. So, what do you think that next act is? Because had he not done this, right, he could have done almost anything that he wanted, and now a lot of those opportunities will not be available to him. But as time goes on, maybe other doors open up. But if you had to guess, what do you think that next act will be for him? I think it's just being more of a spokesman for the whole league. I think it's, you know, they, Phil, he was he was not a part of any of the live publicity last year. Um, now they're suddenly on TV. I think you're just going to see a lot more of Phil, I think, um, in, in every possible way. Um, I, you know, he's polarizing. The lot, some people don't love the guy, but he inspires emotion. He inspires conversation. And, excuse me, that's, that's what Liv needs right now. I lied, dude. One last thought, because you brought it up. You said they're on TV now. What about that? They do have a TV deal in the U.S., but it's on the CW network. Obviously, the networks who are broadcast partners of the PGA Tour, we're not going to do business with the Live Tour. Are you surprised that that's the best distribution deal they could get? A little bit. Um, I mean, they're spinning like, well, that CW has no sports. We're going to be their franchise, and we're going to get all their attention, but... You know, we'll see what that looks like. I mean, it. You know, the bottom line is they had to get on TV. Now they're on TV. If, if if you have a remote control, you can find them, and they just need that passive audience on the weekends. You know, beyond on, in golf shops and grill rooms, and, and and people can become a little more invested in what's happening. So, it's not ESPN, it's not Fox, but they're on TV. That was the mandate. They made it happen. So, now let's see what the product looks look like because because this is not a traditional sports network. Hopefully. They will not give us a traditional, you know, telecast. Like the the problem for Live is not that it's trying to be different; it's that they have not been different enough. It still looks like golf as we know it. Like they they need to blow up all conventions and make these these telecasts completely unique and different. So maybe they'll get that latitude on the CW that they could not have gotten somewhere else. So I mean, it could be a home run. We'll see. All right, with all that in mind, I want to direct you listeners and viewers to the Fire Pit Collective. They debuted last month on YouTube with a new docuseries. It's called The Grind. Really, really good content. He is an acclaimed golf scribe, good friend of the program. He is Alan Shipnook. Alan, great to have you on. Always appreciate the conversation. Nice job, as always. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. What's better than watching the NBA action? Being a part of it with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, you can tap into all the excitement with the click of a button. New customers can place five bucks on any pregame money line bet 
and get 150 bucks in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NBA winnings with each leg that you add up to 100%. Same-game parlay is so fun, and it's a good way to get paid. So download the app right now. Sign up with the code Rome R-O-M-E. New customers can place 5 bucks on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code Rome R-O-M-E. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Now, I saw the speculation. Yesterday, we had one of our favorite guys on, Ben Golliver. Ben Golliver is an NBA writer, and among other things, but... He's dialed in. Always, always, always. And we talked about something that had me hyped. I got hyped. I got hyped on this topic, and I wanted to ask Ben about it, but then Ben shot it down. And because I respect him as much as I do, as much as I want it to be true, I knew it wasn't. And in fact, when I took myself out of the equation and I listened to what he had to say, I actually had the same take even before he said what he had to say. Now, his take was sharper than mine, but we were on the same page. Except I didn't want to accept it because what he said runs counter to what I want. And what I want is the best thing for team content. You know me. I'm never looking to make this about me, but this one time, I think I'm going to make it about me. Yeah, I know. Don't get used to it because it'll never happen again. I never make it about me. And don't get this twisted. The topic that I'm about to get to, Ben nailed. He was all over it. I just hope that he's wrong, and I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that we're wrong about this topic. By now, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Russell Westbrick possibly ending up with the Clippers. Ben made it absolutely clear that Westbrick makes absolutely no sense for the Clippers. And I completely agree with the assessment. They need a point guard, just not that point guard. I watched this guy all year. I watched him all last year in Los Angeles. He has his moments every once in a while, but I don't think at this stage of his career he's a positive contributor, even in a small role, like a six-man role, to a team that really wants to go deep in the playoffs. And so I would say buyer beware, especially, especially for a team like the Clippers, they need a point guard. They have a huge hole at point guard. They've got nobody who can really attack the rim and go downhill, and that's why the Clippers are interested in him. But to me, uh, you know, I still don't think it's going to be a fit. Uh, the defensive issues for him are, you know, just a constant uh, problem. Uh, and then also his shooting has just been, uh, you know, really, really rough this year, and he has a hard time laying off the shots, Jim. You know, it's one thing if you can't shoot. It's another thing if you can't stop yourself from shooting, and uh, Westbrook falls into both those categories, unfortunately. My man. Legend. Hey, Ben, do me a favor. Stop being right. Stop being smart. It's so good. So, so good. And I hope you're so wrong. Wrong. I hope you're so wrong. Don't get me wrong, Ben. I agree with you. I know you're right. I just hope you're wrong. Because while Wes Brick would probably be all wrong for the Team Clippers, he could be one of the best things ever for Team Content. And I might get my wish because while Ben said that yesterday, how about this tweet? Shams tweeted yesterday, quote, 
the Los Angeles Clippers have begun conversations with Russell Westbrook, sources tell me, and at Law Murray, the NU. Clippers received permission to speak to Westbrook, and talks have started among franchise officials. Hell to the yeah. Hell yeah. Hell freaking yeah. A buyout might be coming. Free Westbrook. Westbrook. Hey, Clipper fan, hear me out. I know you're all embracing your inner Laker fan right now and yelling, No, Russ, no. No, Russ, no. No, Russ, no. Me, I'm going to find the highest rooftop I can get to and scream, Go, Russ, go. Go, Russ, go. Go, Russ, go. My man, move that locker right down the damn hall. Of course, they need a point guard. But a traditional point guard. He's not that. Never has been. Ben Golver said it best. The guy can't shoot. Except he can't stop shooting. That's not what they need. And he's not playing defense. He's been in steep decline. And seemingly is the only one who doesn't know that he's in steep decline. Well, he and PG-13. Playoff P. Playoff P apparently thinks that Wes Brick is the same guy that they used to run with. The two of them used to run together back in the day. The best part about this horribly wonderful idea is that we know that Russ cannot function as a third wheel. We already saw it with the Lakers. It was a bleep show. Yet the Clippers apparently have convinced themselves that it will be different with Kawhi in playoff P than it was with Braun in AD because they've got to need a point guard and the guy's anything but. The hell it will be any different which is why I love it so much. Imagine Westbrook moving Westbrook. right down the hall, moving his bleep show right down the hall and picking up right where he left off with the Clippers. Damn near wrecked what was left of the Lakers, only to go down the hall and kill any shot the Clippers have of winning anything at all. Tell me something better than that. And if you think that's harsh... If the truth is harsh, then sure, it's harsh. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, and this is why I'm such a good dude. That's the way it's going to go, by the way, if they bring him in. Why would it go any other way? Why would it be any different? But, but, what if I'm wrong? What if he does come to the Clippers? You know what? I hope playoff P is right. I hope the Clippers are right. What if the guy can figure out a way to fit in? What if somehow, some way, this guy's done some crazy soul searching? Not possible. But what if he has? What if he accepts a role? What, what, follow me on this. What if he fits in? What if he listens to Ty? What if they make a run? Let's face it. This dude is not half the player he once was, but... He's not half the player he once was, but I bet that boulder on his shoulder is now twice the size it ever was because you know Russ is bent and he's hot as hell at the Lakers for the way they did him. I bet he's pissed at everybody, pissed at the world. I bet he's bent with ownership, bent with management, bent with the coaching staff. I bet he's especially pissed at the GM. And street clothes. Imagine this guy joining the Clippers and somehow making it work. And then imagine if somehow, some way, we could get the Lakers 
and the Clippers to square off in the playoffs. It's not as far-fetched as it seems, considering how bunched the West is right now. Could you imagine that scene? Westbrook with the Clippers trying to unleash hell, or whatever he has left, on the Lakers. Man, imagine that scene. I could. I do. I want that. I need that. Man, there's so many different layers to this story. If my guy Lee Jenkins, what up, Lee? I miss you, bro. If Lee Jenkins and the fellas can make that happen, man, that would give us content all the way through summer. Also, what if this? What if Russ proved the entire basketball world wrong? What if Russ ripped a chip with the Clippers? Like, what if somehow, someway, this guy was able to turn the clock back, went basketball genius, fit in perfectly, and won the Larry O with the Clippers? Tell me a bigger, more all-time, tell me how my ass tastes, le GM, than that. Can you imagine how incredible that would be if Russ were to rip a chip and get up in le GM's grill and demand to know how his ass tastes. Or, or the flip side, Russ goes to the Clippers and then does what he's done his entire time in L.A., not fit in, not accept that he's now a role player and no longer an alpha, and he drags the Clippers down with him like he did the Lakers, and he ends up wrecking both L.A. teams in the same season. How awesome would that be? Even Kawhi himself would have to see the humor in that amazing scenario. Rebound Davis. Shot clock at three ahead of the game clock. Russell Westbrook loses it. Loses it. Out of bounds. OKC. Westbrook all the way, but he can't finish it. He was at the rim alone. Russ, two out of four from the line so far tonight. Oh, that may have missed everything. It's going to be another turnover by Westbrook. Air ball, Westbrook. That one deflects, taken by Russ. Russ loses control of it. Not a great sequence. And Russ goes all the way. That is such an amazing montage. I think that's all from one game. Russ was right there and could finish. Pass deflected out to Westbrook. Anyway, it could be the ultimate win-win for me. Win! The brick comes home again. Slays the Lakers. And then has the ultimate, again, tell me how my ass tastes moment for LaFib. Or the brick comes home and infects the Clippers the way he did the Lakers. Win! 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 I want this. I need this. I need this. Finish this, Westbrick. Westbrick. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what's your beef? Denny Hamlin is my guest. Denny, it's good to have you back. How are you? Good. How's it going? Good, dude, good. Most importantly, and first things first, did you cash any Super Bowl bets? Oh, you bet. 
every way that I possibly could. That's what I like to hear, man. Good day for you. It was, yeah. The the, the Chiefs and over was uh, very very good for me. Good, glad to hear it because I was afraid you might be running out of money. That's good, Danny. Well done. <laughs> Danny Hamlin joining us. All right, so before we talk racing, I want to ask you about one more thing. Is if you didn't have enough going on already, you did launch a new podcast called Actions Detrimental with Danny Hamlin. It's part of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s content company. I bring it up because I'm curious, how do you like getting to chop it up on a new platform, and then how are you approaching it? Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I figure I had my hands in everything else NASCAR. I was a driver and owner. I might as well join the media corps as well. So, um yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's what I love to do. I mean, you know, I don't consider any of this work. You know, I love talking about our sport. Um, it's I've been amazed with the success that it's had just in its first two weeks. Um, you know, my my job is to go out there and help grow this sport. And if I can give some people some inside information from, um, you know, basically going from out out there in the racetrack, flying home, going down in the studio down downstairs, and doing it right away. You know that's that's information that the fans want to hear about. Like what 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 happened on the racetrack that we didn't see. You know maybe some uh, some some beef between drivers that I saw on pit road that the, the TV cameras didn't catch up to. So there's a lot that we're going to talk about, and certainly uh, we've had a, a great. It seems like a really good uh, reviews from it so far. You know, Denny, you understand that. You get that because you have that insight, so they want to be let inside. And you mentioned as an example, there are things that happen. There might be beefs between drivers that we can get into. As an example, Joey Logano crashing Kyle Busch in the clash up at the L.A. Coliseum. What did you make of Busch calling Logano two-faced after he did it? Is he? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, he is. And I, I think kind of both of them are, to be honest with you. I think that uh, Kyle's two-faced in the sense of like, you know, he's he's one of the no- more nicer and fair guys on the racetrack. Joey's the opposite, and when they get all- out of the race car, they become opposite again. And so I think that those that's why those two are clashing. And uh, you know, listen, I-, I never make believe that if anyone's nice to my face outside the race car, that we're we're best friends on the racetrack. That I think Kyle was a little silly in believing that you know him. Logano were going to be good because they were talking before the race. That, that's a little silly, but I think that uh, Joey kind of embraces being the, the the guy that's hard nosed on the track and being a nice guy off. And uh, Kyle just didn't like it. Dude, I like it. I like that. I like that response, and that's why your content's going to be really good and your podcast is going to crush. We're talking to Denny Hamlin. So, Demi, what about the car itself? There are certainly questions about the car coming out of the clash. How do you feel about where the car is heading into Daytona, and what would you say your biggest concerns are right now? You know, some of the, the concerns that we had last year is we didn't know how this car was going to race. We didn't know how it was going to draft at Daytona. Going into the 500, we had very, very limited uh, track time. But this year, we, we have a full year of notes to go off of. Now it's just about, you know, how can we execute? And I think it's going to take really three facets of your game to win the race on Sunday. And they're all going to be weighted pretty equally. You're going to have to have luck, which that is, means don't cause a wreck or get caught, caught in someone else's crash. The other is your skill set. You, you know, how the decisions that you make on the racetrack um, in in the drafting pack. And the other is execution, and that is not making mistakes on pit road or taking yourself out of the rec- race because uh, you made a bad move. So you have to have all three of those line up perfectly on Sunday to win this race. And nobody that wins will have anything go wrong 
negatively at any time. Or, you know, if, if they don't have a luck, it has to be a yes on the luck. Uh, they will not win. Talking to Denny Hamlin. So, Denny, how much of that, like I was going to ask you, and you may have just answered it, I was going to say, if anybody understands what it takes to win at Daytona, it's you. You've won three times. I mean, is that answer specific to the car itself, or generally, is that what it takes to win that race? It it does, and I mean, your car is important, but it's not as important as the driver's skill set. It's the decision-making. You have to play chess out there. This is not, you're not, you can't just instinctively make moves in a reaction type way, you have to plan out your moves well in advance. I'm constantly looking at what move I'm going to make two laps beforehand. And I'm looking at the cars around me trying to predict what they are going to do to make sure my move is optimized. So again, when you tune in on Sunday and you see 40 cars all in a big pack, everybody is running wide open. All the cars are, are pretty close in speed. It's whoever manipulates the air the best is the car that's up front. Denny Hamlin getting ready for the Daytona 500. He's won it three times. So, Denny, that notion of a driver's skill set. Let me ask you, obviously you're a different driver at 42 than, say, you were at 32. You're different. Are you a better driver now than you were then? Can you do things now that maybe even then as a younger driver you couldn't do or didn't do? Without question. I I think, you know, our sport is the one where you can – I think you do get better with age. Now, I, I, I will say this. When you get above 40, you do manage your risk a little bit more where, you know, possibly the younger guys probably have more speed. But I, I win way more races today because of my mental awareness than I am my all-out raw talent and speed. And and so there's a balance there that I believe that I'm really in my sweet spot in my early 40s to where I've still got the speed, but I've got, you know, 18 years of experience doing this to, to – to, to lean on when I'm not really sure which move to make. I think that's really, uh, really interesting. We're talking to Danny Hamlin. So, Danny, what about, I mean, even casual fans understand, like, this is the Super Bowl of your sport. They understand the significance of the Daytona 500. Now, you're just one of four drivers to win that race in consecutive years. I mentioned you've won 48 times overall on the circuit, but what does winning at Daytona mean to you? What does that represent to you? Well, it, you know, it's our – it's our most iconic facility. It's, you know, this is the 65th running of the Daytona 500. So it's been around since pretty much the inception of NASCAR 75 years ago. Um, it's, I I guess it's kind of like the Kentucky Derby for the horses, right? Not a lot of people tune in for uh, all the other races, but they, they, they watch, you know, the Kentucky Derby. That's what this is is for us. It, It has always been our biggest event. Um, this is the birthplace of NASCAR, and so the facilities are second to none. Um, so it's just you put all those things together and you get the, the big event that we're going to have here on Sunday. So, Denny, two quick, quick things. You mentioned that I felt like you said I had my hand in everything else. I might as well get into content. And you talked about the business side. I mean, you did expand your racing portfolio three years ago when you joined Michael Jordan as the owners of 2311 Racing. I'm kind of curious. Do you have the same passion, the same approach? Do you attack the business side of the sport the same way you do the actual racing side? Does it feel the same way? I do because, you know, I I do know what it takes to be successful. I've been, you know, a race car driver for Joe Gibbs, one of the most successful NASCAR owners and most successful football coaches in history. And I've seen how he runs his company. And, and I, and I try to emulate that, um, you know, being under his wing for these, all these decades now, I just feel like 
uh, he showed me the blueprint of how to make a successful team. And as a current race car driver, it's so valuable for me to be on a very good competitive team and then be able to walk across the street to my team headquarters and say, well, hey, we're doing this, that, and the other. Like, I'm essentially a spy for the competition. So it it really kind of works well uh, for that instance. But uh, we're all Toyota teammates. We all have an alliance together, my team and Joe Gibbs' team. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I attack it the same way, and that is that I want to win. Over everything else, uh, over whatever the P&L says at the end of the year, I want to win, and I want to do whatever it takes to win. So, Danny, one more thing. Your partnership with FedEx is now in its 18th season. It's been a great relationship. Sunday, you're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of FedEx, beginning its operations with a special paint scheme for your car. What are the details of this? Yeah, this is um, in in late April. It's actually going to be the uh, 50th birthday of FedEx. This is from when Fred Smith went to his college professor and wrote an essay about, you know, dreaming about being able to ship packages overnight across the country. And, um, you know, for them to be such a big part of my career for the last 18 years, it's, it's unheard of in NASCAR to have one driver with one team with one sponsor for this long. And uh, they really believe in their racing program. And so um, we're actually going to have a life-size FedEx racing car cake at the racetrack that some fans will be able to take a, you know, a slice of. So we're excited about it. Uh, my relationship with them has just been awesome and uh, couldn't be prouder to be with that group. I like it. That's fun. The Daytona 500 is Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. He has won it three times. He is the driver of the FedEx. Number 11 car for Joe Gibbs Racing, Denny Hamlin, joining us before the big race. Denny, appreciate you. Always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. All right, Jim. Thank you, man. Have a great day. Denny, man, did the hack off. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. And I said it stopped working the second they became self-aware. It was great, and then, and then it wasn't. I ended it one year in the middle of it. Well, it's back. I didn't plan it, but here it is. Here is your hack off. Six people on hold. I'm going to roll every single one of them this segment. I'm looking at the field, and yes, it is a field because it's now officially an event. I'm looking at the field, and I'm trying to decide what order, and I can't decide, so I'm going to take them the order they came in. The first call through today was Jeff in San Antonio. Let the hack off begin. It's back. Jeff in San Antonio. It's been a minute. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, Rome. I I figured I'd call on uh, my hero Jordan's birthday. I'm still a badass. And I still have a kid. Um, And I heard you guys making fun of me. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that car. I don't like that car. Not a very good car. I said it was the hack off. So again, who wins the hack off? Is it the worst of the worst or is it the best of the worst? We're off to a terrible start, but we're off to a great start because it's the hack off. Hacks. That moron, whoever it was, waited on hold almost two and a half hours to be the fake Jeff. So he could cry on the air. On MJ's birthday. That's why Jeff in San Antonio called. It was MJ's birthday. You know the whole backstory on that. So far, so good. That's the first of six in the hack-off. Are you enjoying your hack-off? You wanted it. You got it. 
Let's go to Ryan in Sacktown. Ryan, you may think that you don't belong in the field, but you're in the field. This is the hack off. Whether you thought you were going to be in the field or not, you are. Let's go to Sacktown. Again, we're going in the order of the calls as they came in. Ryan in Sacramento. Ryan, what's going on? What's up, JR? Thanks for the informal hack off. I'm really just here to welcome Sacramento back from their darkness retreat. For the first time since 2004, they've got two all-stars in Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. Sabonis is nearly averaging a triple-double every night. Fox is Mr. Clutch. Uh, Ryan, you're not clutch. Know your room. Know your show. Know your event. You know why you got run, Ryan? Two reasons. One, you are not clutch. And number two, you didn't suck enough. It's the hack off, bro. Wake up. If I wanted a straight sports take, I would have never taken your call. What are you doing, Ryan? Are you listening? It's the hack off. Know what time it is, dude. Look at your watch or listen to the host. It's the hack off. Did you not hear the call before you? You see this watch? It says hack off o'clock. The first caller set the tone perfectly. A fake Jeff in San Antonio crying on Mike's birthday. But what do you do, Ryan? You come in here like, hey, Rome, you know, we're the Sacramento Kings. We're still rolling. Sabonis is averaging a triple-double. He's clutch. You're not. I know I said don't hang up. You should have hung up if you're going to come with a straight sports take. Come on, man. Hey, Ryan, you know what you need? You need to go on a darkness retreat and do some serious soul searching. It's the hack off for the worst of the worst. Back to the phones. Let's go to L.A. Fabian. Fabian, what's going on? Dude, now I'm, I'm all puzzled now, bro. From, from the little group right here, I'm the OG. I'm, who are these guys could participate in the hack off? Come on, me. That's funny. So the purpose of this. Oh, and by the way, hey, uh, Ryan, hey, stay in your lane, bro. What do they tell uh, Parody Larry? Come in and do your parody and get on, bro, because you ain't, you know, come on. I'm, okay. Anyways, bro. So um, the thing about this is that I have a problem with, with you calling, uh, 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 well, the Nika, the queen, you know? So, you know, I don't know what you, how you feel about that, but the queen to me is Bella B, okay? Happy birthday, Bella B. You know, um, I called to try to tell you a little something, but since I'm supposed to sound like a hack, well, I am a hack. So give me some jungle karma. I'm waiting for a call today. I keep getting fired for smoky weed, and I need the jungle to back me up on this, baby. So I'll let you go before you as much run me. I dare you to run me, God damn it. Incredible. Incredible. First of all, <laughs> Fabian, two things. If you want to get run, all you have to do is be yourself. You're going to get run. If you want to get run, all you have to do is ask or be yourself. What you do not have to do is GD bomb us, Fabian. Damn right. He started off so well, too, like so lucid. Like, I'm really kind of puzzled, Rome, because you're saying it's a hack off, but I'm like, 
the OG. I don't belong with these hacks. And then proceeds to show that he belongs right with these hacks and does what he always does. Okay. Is just totally manic, schizophrenic, frenetic, all over the map. But the bar has been set. It is a hack-off. Two of the three have been perfect hack-off calls. The first guy Mm -hmm. pretending to be Jeff in San Antonio, and then Fabian showing up. Not only is Fabian, but like prime Fabian. He took offense. One really quick thing. He took offense to me calling Danica the queen so he could shoot his shot at Bella B. Like, that's not cool, Rome. Bella B is the queen. They're all buttholes Hey, baby, why don't you just blow up my phone and let me know how it is? What's up? He literally just shot his... He shot his shot at Bella B. Fabian, on air. Bro, can you not just slide into her DMs? But I'm so glad you didn't, rack him. It's a hack-off. It's a hack-off. Let's keep this thing going. 1-800-636-8686. Look at this guy. I Ray Craig. I Ray is here. Dude, what's going on, I Ray? Romy, you know, you know, you know, dude, long time no talk, Romy, how you doing, buddy? Good, bro, how about you? I'm doing over fine as usual, uh, it was great to see you at Santa, uh, Santa Anita a while back there, uh, I just wanted to let you know, I'm, I'm lobbying for the Jungle Racing Stable salary trainer since I'm, uh, opening up my apprentice license for training, and, uh, I, I promise not to urinate in the feed or, uh, Anything like that so our horses don't get plugged for positive for, uh, performance-enhancing drugs. But this uh, is a rib this weekend for a good walk spoiled and uh, could take up residence at that par 3-6 and burn some hippie lettuce and watching a plethora of aces hit the scorecards. And uh, all they need there, Romy, is a windmill and a plastic Guernsey cow to uh, – make it an official golf and stuff and throw a water slide in there for the kids to pee in and they're in business, man. Ah. It's a hack off, yo. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. I read the entire call was about urination. Why? At least he wasn't high. I like how he was going to take up, quote, residence at the par three sixth hole. Right, dude, because you're homeless. Is that what you mean by take up residence? Literally? Dude, did you just say you're going to become an apprentice trainer at the track and you would like to work with my horses? But you won't urinate in the feed, therefore none of the horses will blow positive for any banned substances, and you're going to tell me that this is not a hack-off. Drug check. Hey, Tommy, didn't he tell you that he was watching the TV show for the first time? Right, through the window of a fries, I would imagine. Except fries doesn't really have windows, do they? Interesting place. Did I or did I not say that an impromptu hack-off would break out? And has it or has it not? This is fun. Let's keep it going. John and Little Rock. John might wreck it because when John's good, John's great. But when John's not, 
He's not, so he may fit in. Let's find out. Little Rock, Arkansas, well, if it's him. Like, I thought that was a fake IRA, and then it was the real IRA, and then we had a fake Jeff in San Antonio. Who really knows, right? One way to find out. What's going on, John? Welcome to the Hack Off. It's him. Hey, yo, Brad is the place on the horse that no one looks at. And Vic is the split in that spot no one has a selfie with. And left is the reason why that spot is dark. Even with Google glasses, you can't see in the dark. Rick is the spot on the pig that no one looks at. And run me. I don't think that dude thought that he was going to get that far. I don't ever remember him ending one of his parodies with, and run me. Okay. I love me a good hack off. I just thought we had had our last one. But I should have known that at some point, some way, organically, one would come about. We're not done yet. I did promise you six. I've done five. I love Bob in L.A. Like, Bob in L.A. wants to just jump into the hack-off. Who wants into a hack-off, Bob? Angry Bob is like, hey, you can't have a hack-off without me. I'll run your ass. Run his ass down. Bob, Bob, you don't call during the hack-off. That means you're a chump. That makes you a hack. Like, oh, I want to be a part of this. You can't have a hack-off without me. I'm Bob in L.A. Bob. It's incredible. In fact, all the lines are ringing. There's a lot of hacks out there. I know. You know why? I know what's going on. You hacks know that you could otherwise never get on the air because you're hacks. So you don't try. But you're like, oh, wait a minute. It's our segment. This is the one time we can get on. He will take our phone call. He's embracing the fact that we're hacks. You're right, hacks. You're right. This is the time to call. Let's go to John in Philly. John's not. John just kind of ended up as a stray. John wandered into the wrong party. John John got caught up. John took a wrong turn and ended up in the wrong neighborhood, and here he is. So in fairness to John, John's not a hack. He just took a wrong turn at the wrong time and ended up in the wrong place, in the wrong party. What's going on, John in Philly? How you doing, John? I'm great, Jim. You know, what would a hack-off be without a little romance? You know, as I considered yesterday how you've been a major player in uh, Larry and Kathleen's relationship. And as much as I appreciate Larry's sentiments about the uh, traffic apparatus in Philadelphia, I really, it really strikes me, Jim, that taking place was a deep-seated expression of repressed emotion for Larry to Kathleen. And not only is it important to take a different angle, Jim, from this, but for your audience, especially those who are emotionally about 13 years old and their fascination with soiled undergarments, Larry so aptly expressed crack a shack a lacking and how endearing that was to Kathleen, but possibly a hint of jealousy, Jim, involving someone in Albuquerque. Um, and again, to meet the level of some of your listeners the enthusiasm, the passion, the marbles in his mouth. <laughs> Sing it with me, folks. Larry and Kathleen sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love. Second comes marriage. 
And next comes Larry with a baby carriage. At this time, Jim, I will respectfully exit. Thank you, John, very much. Thank you for respectfully exiting before you were respectfully run. Like Dr. Ruth or something. You know, when I went into the Radio Hall of Fame, Dr. Ruth went in the same night. And she was 90, and she gave us all advice. Love advice. Actually, sex advice. And if I'm not mistaken, dudes, back me up. You were there. Did a 90-year-old Dr. Ruth not suggest that we all try a new position to spice things up? I think she did, Alvin, didn't she? Alvin would know. That's why I'm asking him. And I know I wouldn't say, did you take her advice? But I know that you did. (laughs) She's 94 now. James Kelly was there. He said, quote, oh, yeah, she did. Coitus advice from the old gal. Sex with me. All right. Alvin, when, when Dr. Ruth is up there and saying, hey, you, you're good at sex, Alvin. I recommend you try a new position. He'd be like, uh, Doc. That this, is ridiculous. I've, that is ridiculous. I've tried every position. Get that out of here. <laughs> Alvin's back. Slippage. <laughs> love to see it. Alvin's back. Oh, I love that. Hey, Alvin, what did you say from our table when Dr. Ruth peered out over the audience in New York City and said, I think that all of you should spice up your sex lives by trying a new position. Get that out of here. (laughs) What do you think, Chuck? Are we walking off on that or is there one more? No. All right, now we're done. There you go. There's your hack off. Never, ever, ever, ever ask me again for the hack off. You had it. Okay. And don't chase that with, hey, Rome, you brought the hack off back. What about insert? The adult alarm, the rat family, all the other things, the piece of crap club, the other things that I cannot bring back. That is my gift to you. You're welcome. That's pretty fun. I forgot how fun a hack off could be. You're welcome. That's the way it's got to go, though. You can't plan it. See, they're too self-aware. It has to be organic. And it was. That was fun. Nice job, hacks. Y'all are hacks. How about Fabian with the GD bomb that got him run when he was trying to shoot a shot at Bella B? Okay. Hey, Neep. Just slide into her DMs. If she doesn't follow you and you're not able to slide into her DMs, there's a reason for it. Okay. You can't slide into 250 radio stations and a million listeners to shoot your shot. Actually, you know what? You can. Baby, and you're an OG. Ah, uh, yeah. Like you said. Hey, Bella, what's the response? Okay, Bella. Okay. James in Portland's in. I love when you talk hockey. James writes, Jimmy, my man. I heard Alvin gave Dr. Ruth Come advice. Come on. Come on. That's the real James in Portland. Jimmy, my man, I heard Alvin gave Dr. Ruth advice. Come on. (laughs) Seize kingdom, let me hear you. We're going to have some fun. 
don't mind starting with a Monday. Yeah, yeah. Look who's back. Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. A tremendous Monday to you. And yes, check me out. Back in our studio. After a tremendous week in Arizona. That was so much fun. Great to be back in Cali. Great to be back talking about the greatness of one Patrick Mahomes. And the greatness of one Andrew Ryan. Come on, waddle over and here. And the greatness of the Kansas City that was a killer. He showed the hell up like the all-time great that he is and had to be. That is a killer. I had a buddy of mine hit me up during the game and say, man, there's an awful lot of body shaming going on at this party I'm at. She was pregnant. Wasn't she like 50 stories up from the ground? When Janet was pregnant with Jake. I didn't even want her walking down the street. Oh, there's a pine needle. Look out. Incomplete, but there's a penalty flag thrown. I was hoping he would let it go. I mean, hell, we all were hoping they would let it go. It was, it was a hold. Do not blame that loss on that call, no matter how hard Philly fan is trying to do so this morning. All right, it's like, what, what, I can't even breathe, okay? We didn't show up in the second half. Give me a break. I just did halftime. Cry equals cry. It is the mother of all weeks. Radio roll. Freeze became available, but if there's an owner walking in saying, well, I want to draft Johnny Manziel, then, then that's a bad job. I, saw I thought the roll was great last week. When I heard that back, it was even better than I thought. Drive-by from Sean Payton on Johnny Manziel. I was like, whoa. Hey, Ross, sidebar really quick. You just got your butts whipped. Ridiculous. Did you get the nerds reference right there, by the way? John Goodman. Your ass is whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Epic. Epic. <laughs> Shove that yellow flag right up his jungle back door. What are you doing, Alvin? You should have been run three times. What the hell are you doing over there? Hey, Vince, physically, who do you trust more, AD or Zion? Can I take can I take C, Jim? I will say Anthony Davis. Romy, another year passes and Eric Bieniemy is not offered a head coaching position. What's going on? Man? Look at who was named a head coach today. Two coordinators off the team that lost. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Twitter. Bobby. Hobby, 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 hobby. Can I get a reservation? What you mean you have no room? Consider it a divorce. Roger Janner and I have been married 25 years. She's not going to divorce me because I couldn't get a reservation. Wide open, five more. Scott Moore joining us. I was surprised. Stuck my foot in the ground and went the other way. I saw nobody was out there. So I knew I was going to get that touchdown. All I had to do was catch the ball. Multiple dead rats floating in the grotto. More than it is, it's a rat trap. More than a grotto. It's the nicest rat trap you've ever seen in your life. The rat goes by and thinks, hey, it's a little paradise. Let me invite all my little rat buddies. Pat Judon joining us. The Patriot way is my way. Like, I like being in the building and I be recruiting people. What's up, Bird Gang? What's up, Bird Gang? And again, you hear that, and how do you say no to that, right? It's Ready time to, to go work. to work. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some fun. Sounds like it. Buckle up. Buckle up. Wow. That's Ready the hype video. And for that to be the result. We're done with Derek Carr. I don't need to watch the guy run out of bounds every single time he gets chased. I don't need to see him sail passes 10 yards over our open wide receiver down the field. We are done with Derek Carr. Mick Cronin. We got some more freshmen on the bench, too, so we're a little bit young. And, oh, we got a chance here. We just got to stay healthy. Britt and I mutually parted ways on great terms. Mm. We're both very happy with each other, very happy with the time that we spent together. <laughs> and I've got only really good things to say about Rit. He's moved on to the next thing. Bring it on. Thank and you. And we will try to get on without Rit. Done. It just happened. No, I thought it was a garbage call. If you get a ticket for going 15 to 45, that cop is a dick. Sex Kingdom, let me hear you. That Matt Lauer was a decent guy. Doubt that. 
Let me hear you say, oh. oh. No, 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 no. I got a beef with that crackalacking, smoking, milf, methylene in Omaha. Matia Petsitich. You know, I had to send email to my team. You know, usually it's like, hey, to go to dentist. And I go, leaving office early, you got to go play former top 10 Jack Sock on center court. I'm sure CBS will be very happy having a black screen for three hours. Why did I even bother going into makeup? Sorry about that, Cindy. Denny Hamlin is my guest. Did you cash any Super Bowl bets? You bet. The Chiefs and over was very, very good for me. And I heard you guys making fun of me. Water slide in there for the kids to pee in and... I dare you to run, you guys. It's a lazy river. I'm driving in my car. Jim's not getting money for this. He's just that cool of a guy. <laughs> Damn, dude, I had no idea you had that kind of laser library, Alvin. And are we building you? We're world champs. Ooh, I think it's going to be Jack Saw. <laughs> Bolder than my guy, Rit. What up, Rit? Swiss Miss. When it comes to me, they don't know. Half is black and white, and the other is orange. My proctologist. Na, 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 na. See you soon. And... Run me. Good night now! Good night now!